we look so much more attractive through a Snapchat filter. So you see people gazing into the Snapchat filter and it's almost like they're on a drug because they see themselves looking so lovely and it just feels, you can just see in their eyes, it feels so good to them to see themselves looking so beautiful. And it's, it's almost like this new drug that Snapchat has invented. Warning. This podcast is for entertainment only and not intended for medical purposes. Listen at your own risk. She's just kind of like, she's confused in our culture in this day and age, whether she should like embrace how she is, like love herself how she is. Yeah. Or because that, you know, there's one cultural message that like, all bodies are beautiful and body positivity and that whole thing. Yeah, right. Um, or whether, because there's part of her that's like, doesn't like how she looks. And she's confused if that part of her that doesn't like how she looks, if that's just like a, a culturally conditioned self-negativity thing that she needs to outgrow, or whether that's like makes sense because she actually like needs to get in shape. Um, so there's just this confusion she has, and I think it's sort of a confusion that our whole culture has, because, you know, you see this, like, there's, like, this culture of, like, selfies and Instagram obsession and, and Photoshopping pictures and Snapchat filters, where everyone is, like, literally obsessed with, like, looking a certain way, yeah. and, the, and then they sort of doctor up their photos whether it's with a snapchat filter or this that or the other and then post it on instagram and look all beautiful and then we all kind of know that the pictures on instagram is not really how the people really look you know right. but it's sort of like we all kind of now t in this day and age we live in this culture of visual images out on the internet and we're all kind of lost and confused about uh, is that real is it not real should we care about that should we not care about that should we put pressure on ourselves to get in shape and look good or is that like a societal dysfunction that we should try to like um, rise above and transcend and she's really lost and confused and stressed about this um, and it just sort of feels like a good topic to try to like get to the bottom of because I think we're all a little bit disoriented by that world that we live in yeah th look that I think you're pointing towards a serious dilemma as there's there's so much media trying to cover this mostly focused on the pathology around um, body dysmorphia that comes from the filters and comes from the obsession of the selfie and the invention of of um, platforms like snapchat and Instagram right there, there, that's what gets all of the attention but then, as you point out, there's another type of, of trend that, that has questionable outcomes, and that's the body positivity. Right. And some people would get totally outraged that we would even question, like, is that a good idea? Well, obviously, if you're a, if you're a medical doctor caring about people's longevity and health, that's a horrible plan. Yep. It's a terrible thing to say, oh, yeah, yeah, you're, you should embrace how you are diabetic or not, cancerous or not, Alzheimer's or not. Like if you're scheduled for really detrimental second half of your life, 
that's not something to celebrate. And in fact, if you celebrate that, there's some serious naivete, some kind of like delusional content happening here. And so uh, I, I don't really want to talk about this because I don't really want to get the the backlash or, or the potential wrath of someone who's who's struggling with their own acceptance of their of their self because i myself have my own issues right it's kind of bullshit for someone like myself or you even to potentially say like yeah yeah you guys you you can't have this body positivity when it's unfair like we just literally run some stupid race lift weights for a second and then boom you have a physique that's closer to what people are looking for. And that's like a difficult thing with with looks in general. Because if you, if you think about what looks are and why is it a big deal, well, it's all about mate selection. Yeah. And it's it's all about like the your success as a human being to a huge part. Yeah, totally. That makes me think of this Catch-22 that we were talking about. Um, let me just restate it here. Um, on the, it's sort of like there's two views that I think both have truth, but it's confusing because in some ways they're opposite. Okay, so the one is um, this perspective you hear a lot that like our culture has become pathologically obsessed with looks. And if you look at all of the anorexia out there or all of like the obsession, these days you see if you're out like, at a, at a fairly nice place or whatever, you'll see so many people, and, and I see this a lot, it's usually a, a a young female in her teens to early 20s, where she's just kind of like looking into her phone, looking, and, and, I, and she's looking at the selfie camera and a Snapchat filter. Because we all look, so, especially women, we look so much more attractive through a Snapchat filter. So you see people gazing into the Snapchat filter and it's almost like they're on a drug because they see themselves looking so lovely and it just feel you can just see in their eyes it feels so good to them to see themselves looking so beautiful and it's oh it's almost like this new drug that Snapchat has invented of like <laughs> they're, they're out like at the cool mall here in Minneapolis it's the mall of America if you go to the mall of America you see this they'll be at the mall of America just like standing around doing this drug that is the Snapchat filter and so it's so clear that there's something immature um, and even like pathological about getting sucked so into that where your meaning in life has just become kind of a fictitious, misguided uh, path towards imagining that you're super hot and or becoming obsessed with being super hot. And then like like the plastic surgery, there's these people and there's TV shows now about this where you'll see people who just get surgery after surgery after surgery after surgery because they just have this weird obsession with looking like um, some airbrushed false thing. Okay, so there's that perspective. And if you just take that perspective, you would just think people are so obsessed with looking good, it's pathological, and therefore I'm just going to embrace how I am, right? There's that perspective. And then in uh, opposition to that is this perspective that I don't think it gets articulated as much. So I think we need to articulate it, um, even though I, I feel like it's just half of a dialectic. But it's like, 
for millions of years or maybe billions of years, um, animals and maybe even plants, when you think about like an orchid and a flower, um, the just flowers in general. So plants and animals have been working really hard to be beautiful. And there's something about beauty or something about um, looking attractive for mate selection that's really deeply integrally woven into the Darwinian evolutionary drive of nature. And we, so from this perspective, it's not a human pathology. It's like, it's like designed into the laws of nature. And if you yes. want to get religious, you would even have to say that God created the world this way to, to, for life to be beautiful, to bring beauty into the world. And that, and, and if I go out somewhere, like if I go to a really nice restaurant or even a better example is a wedding, you go to a wedding and everyone is dressed up really beautifully and there's flowers on the tables and the decorations are beautiful. It feels so good. It's just like, wow, I live in a beautiful world and it feels really good. And if I make myself look good and then people notice me, whether it's a woman who notices me in a sexual mating signal way or whether it's even another guy or a my mom or notices how good I look, it makes me feel really good. Um, so it's sort of like, I, there's truth to both of these and it gets kind of confusing. Man, I tell you what, it, it's, it's, I like what you're saying and it's obviously even more complicated than well, I, I, I don't even know why I'm doing this. I don't know why I'm about to make it more complicated as you just very, you, you helped all of us by simplifying the concept into there's the, the straight pathology. And then as you go over to this other side, that, that, now I remember what you were doing in LA when you were like, nobody's mad about the peacock with its outrageous display. Right. 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 The, the peacock's the a... best example. When you see a peacock, everyone's like, wow, that's so cool. No one's ever like, God, that thing is so vain. That thing is so narcissistic. That thing yes. is pathological. No one ever calls a peacock narcissistic. No, narcissistic, pathological, not, not even remotely, yet as a human being, as, as we gain more and more capacity to look like the perfection of the peacock, which is really strange as it's transferred over in in human beings for women to be that way for for a very long time and now absolutely it's infected men. Like yep. I, I have I have several patients who have it have a very difficult time even leaving their house unless they look like they're ready for a YouTube shoot. <laughs> they, they look like I'm totally serious. If they if they don't feel like they're ready for the camera they don't feel comfortable leaving their house to go to school, go to the gym, go to their job. They don't feel comfortable being in the world. And it's like, that's pretty brutal. And that's not even the full on dysmorphia. That's just like regular anxiety about how you look these days. Yeah. That, that's considered almost regular in, in a way, like it's almost like when you're a teenager and if you, if you look at girls trying to get dressed to go to the mall, or if you have a particular guy friend who freaks out about, I don't even have the right shirt, I'm not going, right? Yep. Like that, that's really normal for a certain developmental stage. 
And so I, I sometimes work with teenagers and, and early college students. And uh, it, I see it much more in that um, age group because developmentally it's, it's more normal as you yep. figure out, you try to figure out, well, what, what is your look? What is the appearance that you're trying to go for? You're talking about these guys that can't leave the house unless they look like they're ready for a photo shoot. Um, and so those people, I'm tempted to make, a person would, could be tempted to make this simplification. Those people you were just talking about are on one extreme where they're overly obsessed and fixated and have a lot of anxiety and insecurity about how they look. And so it's sort of obvious you don't want to be on that extreme. And then we could say the same thing about the other extreme, the people who don't care at all about how they look and put no work into it. And so they're not aware of their diet. They're not aware of their exercise. They're not maybe in, in a worst case scenario, they're not even aware of like their health or their hygiene. And so clearly you don't want to be on that side. So it's tempting to make the simplification of, well, there's a happy middle ground, which I think is true, but... That seems too simple for me. I feel like there, it's more complex than this. I feel like, um, I feel like we don't, we haven't gotten to under, really understanding and kind of accepting the role that beauty and attractiveness and how I present myself plays in like the human social and mating and interpersonal and self-esteem world. I don't, I feel like we haven't, uh, our world of psychology hasn't really well figured out and laid that out. Yeah, you, you made a really good point moments ago when, when it was almost like this, this discussion is starting to take the shape of, an, of, a, of a pentagon or something where it's like, as you, as you shift away from just straight biology and genetics, as it, as it becomes a conscious effortful event, then it goes into your vein, you're self-centered, you're superficial. In some way, that, that means that you're superficial if you care about what car you drive, if you care about the type of clothes that you wear, if you care about your hairstyle and you care about how thin and, and muscular or whatever it is that the look is of the time. If you care about that, that's considered to be somewhat vain by, by who, though? By, by who? who is it? Because here's what's really unbelievable and a horrendous thing that we'll never be able to accept is we're all trying to get this this look of humanity that's universal in its consciousness this is our kind of unstated goal that we accept all we're all kind of equal all human beings are equal and it's like no only five percent of the population is objectively attractive hmm. only five it's 95 percent of the people on this planet are less than attractive <laughs> and as you're saying that, it's opening up a whole world. Uh, it's a can of worms, but um, is that okay? So here, here's what here's 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 where my mind went. Is you're saying only five percent are deemed attractive by the, uh, by the everyone? If we would do a survey of everyone and show yeah. them cards, only five percent would be like uh, uh, deemed attractive. Everyone. Almost like everyone would agree those 5% are attractive. Yep. And I think what that's about is you hear increasingly on the, uh, on, in the manosphere and you, you hear this term hypergamy, which is like, and they usually, it's usually b women kind of being negatively accused of always trying to find a higher status male to go after. Um, but I, what I sort of, think when I hear that, because you hear a lot of men in the manosphere kind of 
whining and complaining about women being hypergamous. And I'm thinking, I don't know, it's not just women. I think men and women are the same. Is like men and women, humans are always like trying to like find a mate that's at the top. So you're, we're saying only 5% of people are deemed attractive. And that's because humans like have this like um, hunger for the top or for the best. And it's just like, it's just like in us. I think it's part of the Darwinian thing. It's like wanting to mate with the healthiest person so that like you have the healthiest offspring. And then women, as so these stats say, are trying to find the 5% like most successful men. Um, yeah. And it's the same thing. They're, the People are looking for the 5% most successful or people are looking for the 5% most attractive. And it's just, I think it's just like this biological Darwinian mating instinct that we humans have. Well, it's it becomes a real problem when you start to look at more than one statistic and you want the best of it. Because if you say, well, I want the best looking person and I want the most successful and I want them to be the tallest and I want them to be the funniest, boom, right. instantly you, that person doesn't exist. Yeah, and then there's been this huge... Um, explosion of YouTube channels that have gotten super popular, like Kevin Samuels, Fit and Fresh, Darius, Roommates, Rolo Tomasi, all these dudes have gotten really popular by attacking women for this exact thing you're saying, is that women say, I want the 5% most attractive, I want the 5% richest, I want the tallest, I want the blah, 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 and all these guys go on YouTube talk, saying to all these women, you're an idiot, you'll never be able to get that guy, Lady, you're average. Why do you think you can get the elite of the elite? Yeah, yeah. I, but it, it literally is a problem for anyone who starts to put on their, their list of criteria. But this also then falls into the, the, the satisfaction of relationships as you get somebody who is, to you, in that acceptable range. And then after a while, you realize they're not that funny. And... Their their looks are fading now that age is coming into the into the picture. Like you've been with them for ten years, and it's like, oh, they used to be really attractive, and and they got so much attention from that, and now they're depressed because they don't get attention for their their super hotness anymore. Totally. And so now they have this like pathological human being that they're with, and they're just like, fucking, this deal sucks. Yep. This deal sucks. And then and but the really weird thing is when you select a mate and that mate is of incredible attractiveness, success or whatever it is, it's some valuable characteristic and you have that as an extension of yourself, yep. then this does become a type of a almost like a narcissistic uplifting projection totally. of yourself. Yeah. Right? That it complicates the story. That's why I'm saying it's like literally that we'll have to draw a like a hexagram. Yeah, uh, and, and tell me what the sides of the different hexagram some, are. Some some um some strange level of there is the biological aspect, then we have this the psychological need, but then it's almost like over here we'll have more of a scientific approach and then a sociological approach over here, and there's pathology. Almost like you could do the outsides of it as the, the parts that are adaptive and then the insides would potentially be maladaptive. Or the inside would be adaptive, you could say, 
of this diagram. I'll have to draw it potentially later. Yeah, yeah, draw it. Because the, the inside would be the adaptive functions and then the outside will we'll assume that society is the one who owns the maladaptive qualities. Because I don't want to place it on the individual. I think our society is obsessed with placing the pathology on the individual. The one who's holding the phone and that's the pathological one. And I'm like, I don't think that's the case. I think it's much more of that person is just enacting this, this very serious human element, this, this like rudimentary need to then see oneself as acceptable. Totally. Fundamentally acceptable. And, and then you see that, oh, I might even be more than acceptable. What if I'm desirable? Yes. Holy shit. Yeah. Like, what if I've, what if I've succeeded in some way? And then you're like, oh, why would you not be, why would you not be in, enthusiastic about such a, such an, experience yep yep that this point you're making is an intriguing one and it brings me back to i think it's a kind of an argument you and i have had which is interesting i think it's complex i think there's truth to both sides of it and the argument is did a hundred years ago or did a thousand years ago were humans obsessed with this in the way we are now and you basically say yes they've always been because it's biological and my side of the argument is I don't think so. I think it's changed. I do think your side of the argument, there's undeniable truth to it. But let me see if I can put my side of the argument into it. Is it seems like if we imagine 100 years ago, humans being brought up where you just had to work fucking hard from day one. Like, like the seven-year-old kid had to wake up at 3 a.m. to go milk the cows and and get the... Uh, chicken eggs or whatever it's like everyone's working really hard from the beginning and no one cares what anyone feels like doing because everyone has to work their ass off to survive and so there's not yeah. time there's not enough time in the day or there's not enough luxury to be concerned with what david wants to do um, so there's less energy around david's desires or needs or feelings a hundred years ago whereas now it's so our lives are so luxurious and privileged and easy that I can spend a huge portion of my time thinking what I want to do. And then when I raise my kid, it's like, um, Johnny, what do you want to do today? Which toy do you want to play with? What do you want to eat? And like Johnny's consciousness starts to increasingly center around what do I want to do? And then there's more time for this. Well, I want to like wear a blue shirt with like this trim whereas a hundred years ago you asked the kid what do you want to do and it doesn't make sense like my son's grandparents grew up in rural india and when you ask and and and, and they had no electricity no running water and they worked they grew all their own food growing up and when oh, you yeah. ask them hey what do you guys want to do tonight you can tell that they don't even really understand the question and they're kind of like well what do you want to do because they don't, they don't know how to like figure out what they want to do because it's not really part of their psychology. Wow. That's a, that's a pretty huge distinction. But I got to point something out, right? Like there's, there's a huge discrepancy of where you are on the planet 100 years ago, 1,000 years ago. There's a huge discrepancy as to like how hard you have to work to sustain life. Like mm -hmm. for example, in Hawaii, where we you you and I were there just visiting, and it's like 
That culture, apparently it took something like two hours a day of work to get all the food that anyone would need to do. So the rest of the time, they've, they've culturally had this, this like wealth of time to figure out what to do. So they invent dumb things like surfing. They yeah. invent silly luxuries. Yeah, yeah right? totally. And so to them, to this day, culturally work ethic is something of high, of, it's totally suspect compared to like the, the American work ethic that we all think of, which totally. obviously comes from this like super hardcore Northern European existence that's just like brutal. Yep. Like coming from Ireland in those places where you can't grow shit, there's no food. It's just like this hard existence all the time. 24 totally. 7 you're just like like and you're and you're also like ruled by some hideous other stupid white people right totally. like yep. that's a brutal existence that yep. you know a huge part of our recorded history lived under that brutality and then there's other places in the mediterranean where it's just like like honey and grapes and shit yes, like that totally that's that's a really good interesting point let me throw a couple other ideas in there um and so the people who grew up or societies that developed in the brutal places, they didn't invent surfing and they probably didn't invent a lot of cool like plumage to put in their hairs or cute dances. What they invented is hard fucking work. Um, and then the societies that grew up kind of in the tropics where um, uh, where life was easy. Not that all tropical places life is easy. I think some jungles where there's like shitloads of mosquitoes and bugs and poisonous snakes, maybe life wasn't easy. But there are some places like Hawaii, I think, where life was pretty easy. I've heard other stories about that, where they developed different things. And they didn't develop this brutal hard work ethic. Okay, there's a super interesting parallel with birds now. I mentioned the birds of paradise in... Uh, Papua New Guinea, and I, I didn't realize this until you just said that, but they spend all they spend this inordinate amount of time looking beautiful, coming up with really crazy, silly dances, and actually they spend a lot. The male birds spend a lot of time cleaning out a stage for themselves to do their super pretty dances, <laughs> and I didn't realize until you just said it. But the reason the Papua New Guinea birds of paradise do that is because food is so plentiful there that life is really easy in Papua New Guinea. And oh. so, so they've been allowed to evolutionarily, and you should see them. I put a, I put a picture of some in our, another video, but like they're so crazy looking and beautiful and wacky and insane. And they kind of look like these humans that just are dress up and like, uh, they're like Lady Gaga's, these birds, because they have <laughs> the luxury to become Lady Gaga. And then you think of that movie, March of the Penguins, you know, where they just yeah. like have this insanely brutal life to try to create one penguin requires like months of starvation and hardship. And so it's the same thing as the humans in the bird uh, uh, species. That's an awesome parallel. I just like now finally our talk has has reached some place where the 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 lines that are crossing are so obvious Right, it's like you can't say that this behavior is pathological. You can't. Well, you can say it, but you're just massively denying a very significant part of what human existence really is all about. Yeah. But given the appropriate amount of time, 
This is humongous. It's important beyond belief. It is, it is absolutely potentially the most important thing. And so then to, to say that, hey, people who are behaving in this way, given the extravagant and or the ease to access it right from the phone that's attached to your hip, like, why would you not do that if you had the time to do it? It's almost like you're foolish to not play this game. And now I'm entering into a totally potentially bad territory where someone would say like, don't you promote these behaviors. It leads to this. Don't you know how many people are struggling with these, these, uh, I guess, body dysmorphic things. And it's like, yes, absolutely. As a result, there are more people that are going to develop dysmorphia and anxieties and neuroses, but they were obviously already to some degree higher in neuroticism to begin with. Right. And someone would say like, oh, you shouldn't say that. You don't know that's the case. And it's like, yes, we do. And and whatever, anyone who wants to debate that, I'd be happy to, to follow up with that. But and it's, it, it it raises this interesting question of like, but, and I don't know if this is true, but my hunch is it is, is the reason people are suffering from body dysmorphic disorder today um, and the reason many, many more people are suffering from obesity and all of the horrible health consequences of obesity is because we're in this time of riches and luxury. It's like a thousand years ago, I suspect almost no one except for the super rich, I thought nobody, almost no one was suffering from body dysmorphic disorder and almost no one was suffering from obesity. Yeah. Don't you remember when I when I looked up from the medical journals that there was this guy they found a hundred years ago in London, or it was from the early 1800s, and they were so impressed with his corpulence, they called it, that they found a man who was 5'9 and weighed 200 pounds, and they thought that was the fattest man they'd ever seen. And I'm like, 5'9, 200 pounds? Dude, that is a joke compared to today. But that was the fattest man anyone had seen. And I'm like, <laughs> you're like, I see a couple of those every day. <laughs> Dude, that, that's not even big for today. That's, no. that's considered, that's why the sizes just continue to grow and grow and grow. And like, oftentimes you'll run into people and like, well, I do when I'm searching for shirts to buy, cause I have to wear like size small men's shirts sometimes. Right. And, and I'll ask people in the stores, like, hey, do you have any shirts that are maybe for European guys? Like, because I'm trying to find, like, <laughs> w- like, I'm serious. Like, American sizes are, I'm literally wearing size small men's shirts. And, and it just seems silly. I, 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 usually am, I usually shop for men's size small shirts, too. And then they're always too short for me because I'm so damn tall. Yeah, that's that. That's a totally. You're you're even in a, in a bigger predicament with that one. Yeah. Trying to you need some like order your shirts from London. <laughs> so are European dudes just like thinner than American dudes? For some reason, there there's we're just so obsessed with like lifting weights from right from high school, and we get just like bigger and bigger frame like. Or we just pack on artificial, our, our frames are still the same. There's no way that American frames are bigger than European frames. But we just obsess as a result of this peacocking style. Like, Americans by far have bigger upper bodies. Yeah, like, yeah. But may, there, it's there's maybe probably not some more. other cultures. Australia, for sure. A couple other people, like, are really into this, like, 
big upper body male. Right, totally. And it's maybe not just uh, muscle, but it's also Americans have more fat on them. That's true. Without a doubt. Yeah. I, well, so where, where does the story go now? Let me pause for a second because my stupid headphones stopped working. And I'm going <laughs> to turn the volume down so that when editing there's not too much echoey. All right, just yeah, you're just going to have to strain to hear. Oh, they came back to life? How about now? Uh, all right. Well, I can hear you now. Okay. That, um, I'm just going to put these away. All right. Dude, so our, our conversation has spiraled into this, this debate about the, the su- successful adaptive qualities of this, this like, awareness of our own appearance and how it's tied to health and reproduction and relationship satisfaction and our own sense of self-esteem and self-value and worth and all of this healthy psychology versus the dysfunction of like an obsession on trying to be something you aren't trying to look in real life like a filter. Yep. Right. Like, that, I believe that's as far as we've made it. Well, one, I think one um, perspective I've gained as we've been talking is that um, in the, it's sort of like the, the humans who evolved in the cold, brutal climates versus the humans who evolved in Hawaii, right? I'm going to call them the penguins and the birds of paradise because yeah, I nice. like making this connection. So the ping in the penguin world, um, there's not a problem with obesity. There's not a problem with body dysmorphic disorder. There's not a problem with narcissism because everyone just has to work fucking hard all the time, right? So there's that world. But we Americans, and increasingly a, a rapidly growing percentage of the whole world is moving into the Hawaii world, is moving out of the penguin world and into the Hawaii world. And I think what we discover as we are now living in the Hawaii world is there's new problems. There's body dysmorphic disorder, there's obesity, there's narcissism, there's egocentrism, there's lack of self-discipline, there's laziness, right? Yeah. And a lot of people start complaining or, or um, accusing people or ex- accusing people of narcissism or whatever. But as, I'm, as we're talking, I've realized oh, the Hawaii world that we live in now, it just presents new evolutionary and new psychological challenges that we humans, we got to figure out. Because we've, we've evolved historically into the Hawaii life. And so yeah. we got to figure that out now. Yeah, that's a really good point. Rather than just being upset about trying to falsely produce equality for those who are good looking or not good looking, for those who are intelligent versus not intelligent, those who have a cultural value system that heavily emphasizes work ethic and then punish those that don't, yep. right? Like what? Then we just have Asian people at the top winning and then other cultures that don't promote this, which like, for example, Hawaiian culture. Right. If you go to Hawaii, you will see lots of white people there who will be like Hawaiian people are just 
They don't work. They never go to work. They don't like, and then they're mad. And it's like from the outside judging this, this society. And it's like, dude, if that's not part of the culture and then you come in and try to just like superimpose your ideals and values onto them. And then we're all trying to come up with this. Everyone should be treated equal. It's all equal. And it's like, dude, there's, we're so far from being equal. And, and the extent of this inequality, I think truly our imagination is just lacking. I, I think people's ideas and attempts to understand what inequality is, where it stems from, and, and how to live with it. Because I don't think the idea is to, to reduce it so it doesn't exist. That's, that, like, that's going to take thousands of years. Yep. And, and I think one of the... I'm trying to boil down one of the most central... Um, mistaken premises of this equality uh, uh, view is that people think there should be equality regardless of how much people work at it. Here, here, let me give an example once. This just seemed like such an obvious, absurd example. Is I saw some meme or something on Instagram where a person said, people who post their fitness goals are really just body shaming. And so oh. they were they, they were like trying to say that posting a fitness goal, like, hey, I'm training for a marathon, that that's like shaming other people. And it was just like, wow, we've gotten so misguided. We're so far lost into this equality delusion where it's just like, Everyone should be equal and equally attractive and equally rich. And everyone should be equally healthy, regardless of whether you're training for a marathon or whether you're just hanging out, eating French fries all day. Like, yeah, it, it, people training for a marathon and people eating French fries, they should be equal. And it's just like, that's, it's so deeply misguided as to be shocking. Well, if you just extend that concept to anywhere else, right? It just be like, oh, if you wash your clothes, well, you're hygiene shaming. <laughs> Dude, extend that theory. Just extend that to anywhere else. It becomes absolutely fucking absurd. Right? Like, dude, if you, how dare if you, you wash? Dude, work, if you brush your homeless teeth. homeless person shaming. <laughs> what was that one? If you, if you go to work in the morning, then you're homeless person shaming. Dude, absolutely. Absolutely. It just goes on and on and on. Anything that you do by those standards, which that I, whoever posts that shit should just be like shouted down. And now I finally realize what people do when they get this outraged. Right. And they end up like trying to shout people down for their beliefs and statements. Like, I think finally I've understood. It's the first time I've ever felt that in my entire life. I literally have. I've seen people behave this way. But I've never internally had that experience until right now. I literally just was like, dude, anyone who says something that stupid should just be somehow punished and obliterated from the planet. <laughs> it, it just literally, it, it, it was the dumbest thing I've heard in a, in a false sense of like, like reason. It's, it's like falsely claiming to be something that's helpful and reasonable and, and looking out for the little guy. But it's like literally the worst thing you could possibly say. Yep. Okay, so 
Um, and that people who say stuff like that again, that statements like that only exist in what I'm calling this Hawaii Papua New Guinea luxurious place. Yeah. If we're if we go if we go to um, the penguins or if we go to the brutal whatever whatever you were talking about Finland or whatever where it's just cold and hard, no one says that because anyone who who is able to survive in those climates works hard morning till night because if they don't they're not going to have wood to make a fire to survive the cold right so they work hard and so everyone has self-discipline but when you move to papua new guinea or hawaii you don't have to have self-discipline anymore because food is plentiful so it's this I, i think it's this new evolutionary challenge that we humans are struggling to figure out to have self-discipline, not because you have to to survive, but you have to learn how to consciously do it in a new, different way. And so it's like it's like self-discipline as opposed to environmentally imposed self-discipline. Yes, it's like self-conscious self-discipline. Dude, that I, I honestly, that's probably the most exciting thing. I I feel like I have some kind of ADD or bipolar experience. I was literally just horrified and outraged. And then when I hear what you just said, I'm like, oh my God, that's it. <laughs> it's literally like you just you just presented the solution to one of the worst things I've heard. And then I'm like, oh my God, that's right. The solution, as you point out, is like consciously figuring out, like, who was it that said this? Somebody just told me this quote, just a, a, like yesterday, that it, it was, uh, Jesus, I, I won't be able to remember, but it, in some way, the uh, figure, it was just like a, someone once famously stated what you just said about about consciously figuring out how to work when you don't want to. Versus- well, that's it was what it was what I, I was quoting Rudolf Steiner in our last podcast. Was it Steiner? Because yeah, because it, like, it was. What last did you week, say? I had I quoted Steiner. I wish I could remember the exact quote, but freedom is. Uh, cultivating the will to do what you don't want to do oh my god that's so strange in my memory i i it like it wasn't you or or it was literally like i i heard someone else say it and it wasn't maybe you did hear someone else say a different thing but what you were kind of starting to say there sounds really similar to what we were talking about last week it's totally possible how memory is really fickle and a funny thing because here we are talking about it through an entirely different context. And so then as as we end up around the same subject matter, it, in my memory, I thought it was a president that once said, oh. and I'm like, no, no, it wasn't Obama. Right? No. Oh, I don't, recall, because if it was something else, I'd like to hear what that quote is, because it's clearly, this is clearly like an important challenge of our times that everyone's fighting fucking violently about this concept yeah and and once again to state the concept it's just like to figure out how to manufacture work ethic because of reasons other than the environmental need to survive every day totally and i think and i think that's a new evolutionary challenge that faces us as we're living in hawaii and papua new guinea that didn't face our ancestors Right. But so what if the majority of the population doesn't want this work ethic? And so because they don't have to have it and so they don't. And then the ones who still do 
They're, they're just going to win and win and win at this game called life. And then they're going to take all the resources because that's what happens. That's the result of this. And so then those people who then win and acquire more and more are then considered to be the hated billionaires, the hated whatever. Like the term billionaire now has a negative connotation. Totally. It's like, it's, that's crazy. And unfortunately, the Darwinian rules that used to work back in Papua New Guinea for the birds a million years ago... They don't really work so much now because the billionaires aren't like having way more kids than the um, the than the unsuccessful people. That's true. Yeah. Well, we've stumbled upon a new dilemma, and it's it's exciting. It's an exciting one. It's probably gonna follow me throughout the rest of the day. Yeah, it's a cool idea. All right, we gotta stop, dude. All right, man. Until next time.